to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Well, good morning, One Church Park District. Happy Sunday wherever you're at today. I hope you're having an incredible day. And uh, I want to give a shout out to everybody gathered in house church today. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed some time around the table, some time of food. Maybe you're going to have some food uh, after you watch this talk and have some discussion today. But uh, I just want to say thank you for making the effort to stay connected, for creating a context of community. And we love those all church gatherings where we can all get together connect as a church family, a whole church family. That's so important. It's kind of like, you know, extended family get-togethers. But I want to tell you, it's just as important that we get together in a small group where we build relationships, where we get to know each other, pray for each other, uh, help take care of each other. So I just want to say thank you. I hear the incredible incredible reports of what God is doing, and I'm celebrating that, and I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, Also, tonight, if you're watching this live, tonight we've got our Power Prayer Rally happening in the back parking lot of the Future Open House. Uh, All the events are on the, uh, all the information's on the events page of our website, so you can go there uh, to get all the details. But I hope you'll join us. It's going to be a great time. Well, if you have your Bibles, why don't you grab it with me and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll get there in just a second. Um, But uh, we are continuing our series that we've been in uh, that we're calling Possessing the Land. And if you're just joining us, you're just tuning in with us, or maybe you've lost track of where we're at, we're in this series and we're really talking about how do we move into the the future, the purpose, the promise that God has for us. Uh, We're looking at the story of Israel moving into the promised land. And I shared with you last week that really the big idea of this book and of the series is that we are to recognize not just what God has saved us from out of our past uh, and out of sin and bondage and slavery to sin. Uh, He saved us from that, but he's also saved us for something. He saved us for a purpose. The Bible says that we've been saved and called There's good works prepared in advance for us. So there's a wonderful future, a wonderful purpose that God has for every single one of us and for uh, our church community. And so we're talking about how do we move into that? We're looking at these lessons out of the story of Israel. And last week I talked to you kind of a hard message uh, out of Joshua chapter 7. And uh, I, I shared with you that, you know, It's not always our favorite passage of Scripture, but that hard Scripture makes strong disciples. And so we are going to continue to kind of unpack that. And uh, last week I spoke to you out of Joshua 7, the story of uh, Israel really having a, a meltdown, having a failure. They've come into the promised land. They've crossed over the Jordan River. They've, they've taken the city of Jericho, and they've just been on a winning streak. I mean, the first six uh, books of Joshua are all of our favorite Sunday school stories. I mean, they're just great stories of God working on Israel's behalf, and it's just a winning streak. But then we come to Joshua chapter 7, and we see a major failure for Israel, as they go against AI and they fight a battle against AI and they end up just getting destroyed. They end up 
uh, getting defeated. They run for their lives. The Bible says that there was 36 men of Israel that were killed. And it just was a horrible loss of um, you know, not only the defeat and the loss of lives, but also loss of morale. Uh, the Bible says that their hearts melted, uh, loss, of, uh, loss of time, and it was a major setback. And when Joshua went before the Lord and said, God, why did you do this? What has happened? Aren't you with us? I thought you were going to help us. God said, get up. He said, I, I, there, there's a problem. There, there's, there's been a compromise and this was not a major malfunction. It was a small compromise. There was a man in Israel that had neglected to obey the instruction that God had given to them as they uh, went into the promised land. And, and we talked about that last week. And we talked about the danger of compromise. That, that oftentimes the failures that come in our lives or in the lives of others, oftentimes it's not a major malfunction. It, it, oftentimes it's, you know, people that have problems in their lives. It's not they've renounced their faith. It's not that they've, you know, totally forgotten about God. It's just a small compromise. And I shared with you uh, the story of Chernobyl and the nuclear meltdown that had catastrophic effects across Europe and uh, really in, in the lives of generations in Ukraine. And it was not a major malfunction in their equipment that caused the problem. It was a series of small compromises. And so I want to pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And Paul is actually using this passage of scripture to help us to understand uh, how we should view this Old Testament story. And he says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 6 says, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them were also tempted and were destroyed by serpents nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happen, listen to this, all of these things happen to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, Accept uh, such as common demand, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So here Paul is using the story of Israel out of the book of Exodus and out of the book of Joshua, and he's going through all of these stories if you know all of the history, you'll recognize some of those stories. But here's what he's saying. He's saying these things were written as an example for us. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I would rather learn through someone else's failure than through having to go through failure myself. You know, you can learn from someone else's example or you can learn the hard way yourself. Uh, I had an older brother 
and I learned a lot of things to do and not to do because I watched his example. Now, I made my own failures in a lot of areas, but I learned some things from his example. And that's what Paul is saying to us, New Testament believers, followers of Jesus, that we should learn from the example of Israel. And so I would say this, that God is saying to us, uh, don't let an area of compromise become destructive in your lives. We need to kill compromise before compromise kills us. You know, we all probably, if we've been serving the Lord for any period of time, we probably can think of people, maybe friends that we've had, maybe people that we've known of, maybe some high-profile Christian leader who's had some sort of moral failure, ministry failure, life meltdown. And, and I, I believe God is saying to all of us, let's learn from the example of Israel. Let's learn from the example of Achan. And what God is saying is that you don't have to fall into failure. Oftentimes when we think about grace, we think that grace is only for the forgiveness of our sins. But I believe God would also want us to know that grace isn't just the forgiveness of sins, but it also will keep us from sinning. That's what Jesus was saying to the woman caught in adultery. He said, neither do I condemn you, but go therefore and sin no more. Sometimes when we fail, we need to hear those words, neither do I condemn you. But sometimes we need to hear those words, go and sin no more. Live a life worthy of the calling with which you've been called, as the Apostle Paul says. In fact, Paul also says this in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. He says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Listen to this, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously, godly in this present age. So what he's saying is that grace is not just the forgiveness of sins, but it also teaches us and trains us. It helps us. We could say it this way. In the medical world, there's a difference between emergency care and preventative care. And when we face an emergency, it's good to have emergency care. And for every single one of us, whenever we fall, the grace of God is always there to pick us up, to, to carry us, to sustain us, um, to restore us. Uh, it, it's there in those failure moments. But God doesn't want us to just live off of emergency grace. He wants us to live with preventative grace. He, he wants us to learn how to live out of that place of grace. It's not just uh, you know, sometimes we think it's sinners that need grace. Well, we all need grace. Uh, even as we're Christians, uh, the life of a Christian is a life of grace. As one of my favorite authors says, Christians burn, gra burn through grace like a jumbo jet burns through fuel. We need grace every single day. And so I want to do something real practical today. I want to give you maybe a little bit of a preventative checkup. Uh, we're talking about killing compromise and we're talking about recognizing areas of compromise in our lives. And I would rather 
you identify, and I believe God would rather identify an area of compromise before it becomes an emergency problem, before it results in failure in our lives. And so I want to do something real practical today. And this is just a little self-inventory. You don't have to turn the results into me. Uh, It may be something you want to talk through in your house church or with uh, some of the guys or girls in your house church or other leaders in your life or family members or friends, but a little spiritual health checkup. And I'm going to ask you four questions that I think every single one of us can answer as a self-assessment of how are we dealing with potential compromise in our lives. And so here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to uh, just rate yourself uh, one to five in how you're doing in these areas. Now, five is you're doing great. You're strong in these areas. Uh, Four is you're growing. I'm getting better. I'm making progress. I'm growing. Uh, three is I'm maintaining. I'm not getting better, but but I'm I'm maintaining. Two is I'm weak. I'm weak in this area. I'm weak to compromise. There's an area of weakness in my life. And one is danger. Rescue nine one one. All right. There is a problem. All right. So here's what I want you to do. Just evaluate yourself honestly before the Lord. One to five. How are you doing? in these areas, okay? So here's the questions I wanna ask you. Number one, the first question I want you to, add to, to evaluate yourself in is, number one, how is your satisfaction? How is your satisfaction? And specifically, I mean, how is your satisfaction in Jesus? I, I shared with you last week that compromise uh, ultimately is rooted in a disbelief of the goodness of God. We looked at the life of Achan, and Achan had this incredible promise of a land flowing with milk and honey. All of his needs met God's goodness and blessing overflowing in his life. But he sacrificed that for a Babylonian robe, a bar of gold, and some silver coins. He had so much good promise to him, but ultimately he didn't trust that God would give him something greater, that God would ultimately satisfy the longing of his heart. And so he turned away from it to a lesser thing. And I shared with you that ultimately all sin is rooted in a disbelief of the goodness of God. So here's the question I want you to answer. How is your satisfaction? How is your satisfaction? Are you satisfied in the goodness of God? Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't want to give you other things. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want to bless you. It doesn't mean that there's not, you know, progress and advancement and things that God wants to bring into your life. But ultimately, what it does mean is that those good things will never fully satisfy the longings of your heart. Um, You know, maybe for you, that's a job and you would love to have a different job, or maybe it's a relationship, or maybe it's um, a house, or a different house, or a car, or a different car, and you, you know, can fall into that temptation that says, if I just had that, then life would be good. Then I'd really be satisfied. And, And ultimately, the gospel teaches us that our greatest satisfaction, our deepest satisfaction, does not come from the good things that God gives us, but it comes from the goodness of God. And so if you're not satisfied where you're at, ultimately you'll never be satisfied where you're going. 
And, and so that's a question I believe we all need to ask ourselves. How's my satisfaction? Am I satisfied in God? It doesn't mean that I don't have faith. I'm not moving forward. It doesn't mean that I'm just complacent and, you know, in this place. But it does mean that I'm filled with joy. So that's the question. How's your satisfaction? Or I could put it as a little sub-point. How's your joy? How's your peace? Do you think, well, if I just could get to this place, if I could just experience that, if I just had this accomplishment, then I'd really have joy. Again, there's nothing wrong with those things, but can you be satisfied in God alone? And if you can't, ultimately, God may hold those things back from you because He loves you enough to not give you something that destroys you. So how's your satisfaction from one to five? Is it, is it dangerously low? Is it weak or is it strong? Maybe it's maintaining. Maybe you're just getting by. Uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 45 verse 1, My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my con composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. I love that. My heart's overflowing with a good theme. Again, it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to take you into a good future, a good purpose ahead of you. But are you satisfied today? Are you filled with peace, filled with joy, with God and God alone today? How's your satisfaction? I love what Dallas Willard said when he says that you must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. Arrange your days so that you are being satisfied in the goodness of God. You know, I believe even when we spend time with God, it's not just I check the box off. The purpose of spending time with God is like eating a meal. We eat until we're satisfied. How, how much time do you need to spend with God? I don't know. How much do you need to be satisfied with God, to be filled with joy, to be filled with peace? And so that's the first question I want you to ask. How is your satisfaction? The second question I want you to ask yourself today and evaluate yourself, a little preventative health checkup on your spiritual life is this. How's your spiritual energy? How is your spiritual energy? I told you last week that compromise grows from complacency, apathy, self-confidence. We saw in the life of Achan and really in the life of Israel as a whole that when they went into battle against Ai, they had grown overly confident. God had given them a victory in Jericho, and as a result, they kind of thought, I'm good. We, don't, we, we are good. We are winning. We don't really have to send that many people out to battle. Just send a few people. We're good. We've got this. They had grown complacent. They had lost that energy, that fervor. And the book of Romans chapter 12, uh, Paul says this, abhor in verse 9, Romans 12 verse 9, he says, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. So he's talking about getting rid of things that are, that are not good, areas of compromise, areas of sin in our lives, uh, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. But then in verse 11, he says, keep your spiritual energy serving the Lord. Keep your spiritual energy. In other words, there should be some enthusiasm in your life. And that, I believe, is a health check that we should all evaluate in our own lives to determine are we vulnerable to compromise? Are we vulnerable to temptation, 
to sin that ultimately could have destructive effects in our lives. And one of the ways that we, are, that we can prevent that is by keeping spiritual energy. Uh, as the scripture says that I would rather you be uh, hot or cold, but lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. In other words, God is wanting us to be on fire, to be enthusiastic. How's your energy? Let me ask you this way. How's your prayer life? Is it energetic? Is there energy and enthusiasm in prayer? That's not necessarily a volume thing, but, but you're loving to pray. How about in the Word of God? Is it just a chore? Is it just, I have to do this, I've got to do it, grumbling, kind of getting through it, and if that's the case, it won't be long until you're not doing it at all. Or are you recognizing, man, this is life-giving. This is feeding my spirit, and therefore I want to I want to get as much as I can. I want to read it. I want to study it. I want to memorize it. I want to understand it. Are you energetic in the scripture? Are you energetic in serving? In serving, in various areas of serving, perhaps at home with your family? Is there an energy in serving one another? Uh, or is it just, oh man, I've, I guess I'll do it. I guess I'll do it. How about in church? Is there an energy and an enthusiasm in the areas of serving that God has called you to? You know, if everything just becomes too much for you, it may be a warning sign that you are vulnerable to compromise because you've lost your spiritual fervor. You've lost your energy. How about your praise? Is that energetic? Or maybe your giving, as the Bible says, God loves a cheerful giver. Has tithes and offerings become just a, a chore that you have to fulfill? Or do you view it as the fact that I have something to give? It's just the evidence of God's goodness in my life. Therefore, the fact that I get to tithe. Tithing is a privilege. Giving is a privilege. Helping other people is a privilege because it means that I've got something to give. Is there an energy and an enthusiasm in your spiritual life? How's your spiritual energy? I believe that we need to recognize that complacency is the breeding grounds for compromise. Therefore, we want to have spiritual energy. So take a moment. Just think about that. How's your spiritual energy? One to five. Is it weak and dangerous? Or is it, mm, I'm maintaining, but I probably need to do some things to stir myself up. I probably need to do th some things to to engage my faith in a greater way. I'm just in spiritual cruise control. Or are you strong? Is there an energy and an enthusiasm? Again, I'm not talking about, you know, just an external thing. I'm talking about a hunger in your heart. There's an energy that's flowing out of you. So number one, how's your satisfaction? Number two, how's your spiritual energy? Number three, the third um, checkup that I want you to evaluate yourself in to make sure that you are strong against compromise creeping into your life. Number three is this, how's your boundaries? How's your boundaries? I shared with you that compromise doesn't begin in a big area. It begins in a small area. The Bible says of Achan that he saw the, the robe and then he coveted it and then he took it and then he hid it. <laughs> so it started with seeing it. It started uh, not with going, I I'm going to take that and I'm going to hide it. He just glanced and he took a little longer glance and before long, he thought, I'll just try it on. You know, one way to never steal a Babylonian robe for Achan uh, 
Don't even try it on. Don't even touch it. In other words, maintain a healthy boundary. And for every single one of us, one of the greatest ways that we can avoid a major failure as the result of a small compromise is by maintaining healthy boundaries. That's what the scripture says in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. It says, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. Now, what Solomon is talking about is in a, a vineyard, there's these beautiful grapes, a beautiful harvest in the vineyard. And so they would build a fence, build a boundary around it to keep things, animals and, and thieves from coming in and stealing the, uh, the harvest. But if they had a little, um, a, a little hole in the fence, a little breach in the boundary, a little fox would get in. And so it wasn't the big animals that would destroy the vineyard. It was actually the little animals, the little foxes, the little cunning, sly, sneaky little things that will find that little hole and will get into that hole and will wreak havoc on the vineyard. So he says, catch the little foxes, catch the little areas of compromise, fix the little holes in the fence or the boundaries of your life. So the question I want to ask is, how are your boundaries? How are your boundaries uh, against sin, but maybe not even things that are necessarily sin, but just things that will keep you from falling into sin? You know, boundaries in relationships are really important. I know sometimes we talk about boundaries in the sense of, you know, just my own emotional health. And I think that's good, but also recognizing that we need to have boundaries uh, in relationships. I would say if you're married, you need to have a boundary around your marriage that there's certain levels of relational connection that you will not have with someone other than your spouse. Uh, putting boundaries in place. How about schedule boundaries? Schedule boundaries. Is there boundaries around your schedule that you are, as Stephen Covey says, putting the big rocks in first? You're prioritizing what matters most. Do you have boundaries around your schedule with your spiritual life? Do you say this time belongs to the Lord? And I don't care how beautiful the weather is. I don't care how great, you know, this beach day looks. This is the Lord's day. This is the Lord's time. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to the beach sometime. I'm not trying to be a legalist on this, but what I'm talking about is becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And when you, when you decide, I want to be a follower of Jesus, there is a cost. There are some other things that you're not going to be able to do because what you want is better. What you ultimately want is better than those lesser desires. So there's schedule boundaries. There's emotional boundaries. Even in our own hearts, sometimes I think there's, there needs to be a boundary that says, I'm not going to go there in my thinking. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to let that emotion uh, get into my mind, get into my heart, get into my thinking. How about with technology? Do you have technological boundaries of a time period that, you know, again, nothing wrong with technology. I'm preaching from an iPad. I'm talking to you through technology, but we recognize that technology and media and the availability of all of these things ultimately can be detrimental to our own souls or can be a, a vulnerability that can create an area of compromise. So I want you to just take a moment to evaluate how are the boundaries in your life? Is there some areas that you've gotten a little loose in that you need to 
fix the fence, repair the boundary, create a little bit of distance, not because something is bad, but because it puts you in an area of vulnerability because compromise starts small, but it grows big. So how is your boundaries? And then the last question I wanna ask you today is how's your vulnerability? How's your vulnerability? What I mean by that is, um, you know, there are areas for all of us that we can become vulnerable. Areas for all of us that we need to watch out for. The Bible talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's things that uh, feel good, look good, and make me feel important. Make me feel like I'm really something special. All of those areas, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are all kind of the areas that we're vulnerable to. But within those, every one of us has an area of vulnerability. Apparently for Aiken, it was money. It was wealth. That was the thing that he was vulnerable to. It was an area of vulnerability. And all of us have an area of vulnerability in our lives. I know sometimes when we talk about sin, uh, many of us, most of us, when we talk about sin, we would say, I believe in the doctrine of sin. I believe there is sin. But how about in my life? What about my sin? What about the area that I'm vulnerable? Then it really gets personal. Then it kind of gets a little uncomfortable. I'm, I'm okay when we talk about generalities of I believe in the doctrine of sin, but how about when we talk about the real sin that we struggle with? Then it gets a little bit personal. That's the area of vulnerability. And John Ortberg, the author, says that every one of us has a signature sin. That's not necessarily the language the Bible uses, but what he's saying is there's an area that I'm vulnerable to that you may not be vulnerable to. There's an area that you're vulnerable to that I may not be vulnerable to. So are we dealing properly with our vulnerabilities? Are we, are, are, are we guarding against that, not just with the boundaries, but also the book of James says this, that we are to confess our trespasses to one another. James 5.16 says, confess your trespasses or confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And I, I love that translation. That's not just confess your trespasses, but confess your faults. You know, a, a fault, a fault line. I know in other parts of the country, there's fault lines. The San Andreas fault line is an area of weakness. It's an area of vulnerability. And for every single one of us, we all have, in our humanity, we have faults. We have areas of vulnerability that we need to guard against. And so the greatest way that we can deal with our vulnerability is by confessing our vulnerability to one another. Now, let me say this. That doesn't mean that everybody has to know everything about you, but it does mean that there should be some people who know everything about you. There should be some people that know your weakness. There should be some people that know your, your struggles and your failures. I have people in my life that, that when I sin, when I, when I struggle with an area of sin in my life, I can go to, I can say, pray for me. I need help. I don't want to live in this. I don't want to fall in this. I, 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 I'm weak. And they pray for me. They minister the grace of God to me. And so that's what I want to ask you. How's your vulnerability? Now, again, maybe your vulnerability is different than another. Maybe for one person it's drunkenness and they struggle with that and they're vulnerable to it. Maybe for somebody else it's lust or 
you know, pornography, or maybe it's, it's adultery, not even physically, but it's emotional adultery. And they, they are getting energy from someone other than their spouse in a way that's inappropriate. Or maybe for somebody else, it's greed, and they're just driven by getting more, more, more. Maybe for someone else, it's anger and losing their cool. Maybe for somebody else, it's gossip and pride, and that can manifest in a thousand different ways. You know, pride is all about, I want to look good, and that can manifest in, you know, I want to I present myself in a certain way. All of us struggle with those things, and there are more socially acceptable sins than others, but ultimately, we need to look at the Word of God, and we need to evaluate our own hearts. Where are the areas of vulnerability? And we need to confess that to one another. We need to share that with one another. That's part of the reason we value the atmosphere of house churches so much because it's easy even in a group of 100 people. It's easy to just become a face in the crowd, but it's in that environment where people begin to know me. They begin to see me. There, there's the opportunity that I can confess my faults. I can share my weaknesses. And, and maybe you don't have anybody that you feel that you can do that with. I want to encourage you to make the effort to be vulnerable, to be open with one another. Who can speak into your life? Do you have some people who can speak into your life? What if Achan had some people that when he uh, took that, you know, uh, maybe took the second glance at that uh, robe and at that gold, they said, hey, Achan, cut it out. It's not good. You're better than that. (laughs) They spoke life into him. They said, Achan, you're a man of God. You don't need that. And we all need people that can speak into our lives, both the potential and the promise, but also can speak into the areas of vulnerability. They can say, hey, I saw that. I noticed that. I heard the way you were talking. I, I, I've noticed you've not been around for a little while. How are you doing? Or are you, how's your passion for the Lord? And so that's what I want you to do today. I want you to just take some time to evaluate yourself. How's your satisfaction? Are you filled with joy? Are you filled with peace? How's your spiritual energy? Are you fervent serving the Lord or have you grown complacent? How are the boundaries in your life? Is there some areas that you need to just draw a boundary so that you do not become vulnerable? And then lastly, are you being open about those weaknesses? Are you being vulnerable? Is there people that know everything about you? Are you bringing it into the light, walking in the light so that you can walk in freedom? And so take some time today. I want to encourage you just to uh, maybe write out those questions and rate yourself one to five. Five is I'm strong. I'm doing great. One is rescue 911. We've got a problem. And I want to encourage you, evaluate yourself. Maybe even in your house church, you want to take some time to pray for one another, encourage one another. Maybe, Maybe with your spouse or with a friend this week, you need to take some time just to be open on how you're doing. And here's the good news I want to give you. I know maybe as you do that. Maybe you go, oh, I don't even want to write down the number that I actually am (laughs) because you just feel like I'm not doing great. I'm weak. I'm struggling. I'm plateaued. Here's the good news. Failure does not have to be final. Failure does not have to be final. That's why the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians says this. As I close today, I want to share this with you. Galatians chapter 6 Verses 1 to 4 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself and not in another. Examine his own work. Don't think we're something we're not. Don't think you're a five when you're really a two. Be honest, because ultimately God is wanting to restore you. God is wanting to bring you to a place of health. And so that's the encouragement I want to give you today that failure does not have to be final. Can I pray with you today? Father, I thank you for every single person watching today. I thank you for this beautiful community of Jesus followers. Lord, in all of our shortcomings and all of our humanity, Father, thank you, Lord, that you love us enough. Lord, to meet us where we're at, to meet us in our failures and in our sin. But Lord, thank you. You love us enough not to leave us where we are, Father, thank you that you are forming Christ in us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we review these things today, God, I pray, Lord, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to bring his loving, gracious conviction to our hearts. God, not to condemn us, but, Father, to help us to experience everything you have for us. I thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. I hope you'll take some time with your house church and in your own heart just to evaluate those things. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Hope we'll see you tonight for our Power Prayer Rally. See you then.